Jesus is here. We're glad He's here. I know He's here because if you're a Christian, you brought Him with you. Is that right? Praise God. So Jesus is here. He's in a bunch of us today. Praise the Lord. Great time of year. We're so grateful for this time of year when we celebrate the birth of our Savior. I think most of us in America forget what this is all about. You know, I mean, it really, we really forget what this is all about. You know, I'm telling you that I, I made a statement uh, five years ago at Christmas that I had no idea what God was going to do with it. But He's still doing something with that statement. You never know, you never know, you never know when you make a statement what God's going to do with it. But anyway, we've got a little slideshow today, and Cheryl's going to talk to you a minute, and then I'm going to take testimonies from everybody else. But first of all, that little statement, I made a simple little statement up here from the pulpit five years ago. I said, Christmas is for children. You know, I said, don't go out and spend your money on a bunch of people for stuff they don't need that they're going to take back tomorrow after Christmas. You know, I mean, that happens. In fact, I, 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 evidently it's already going on. I went out last night uh, to, to exchange a battery charger that went bad that I bought from Walmart. And when I went into the customer service department there, they had so much stuff that had been brought back. I'm glad I went at midnight. You know, that's when I went, you know, or 11 o'clock, whatever it was. It was close to midnight. And I thought, wow, already they're bringing this stuff back. The whole, I can only imagine what it's going to be like the day after Christmas going to be a madhouse, as all of you know. So anyway, I made a statement, you know, don't go out and spend a bunch of money for somebody that don't want it, that don't need it, that's not interested in it, that's going to take it back. So I said, go out and buy something for children. Somebody needs something. So Cheryl, at that time, was not my wife. She was just a member of the church, and she took that to heart, and she wanted to know where God should use her. And the next day, she got a Christmas card from Christ Haven. And she still don't even know how that Christmas card came, except it was routed by God. But that started something in her life that continues on. And yesterday we had an awesome day, and I'm going to let her come up here and tell you all about everything God has done in this. He has done some awesome things. Praise the King. God is so good. Yesterday we had a party for Jesus. And all the kids came, and they'll be. This is this is the gift wrapping that was going on. Uh, it was just incredible. And just to let you know where we were, I got cash and checks of twenty two thousand seven hundred fifty eight dollars. I got gifts of fourteen thousand seven hundred fifty six dollars. I got gift cards of five thousand and twenty seven dollars, and product and furniture donations of fifteen thousand seven hundred five dollars. And then Walmart. I called up the Roanoke Walmart and I said, hey, I said, would y'all give me a $100 gift card because I, I get them usually split up in $20 and about four or five of them had done that. And they said, sure, we'll give you one. And she said, well, would you like some grant money? I said, grant money? <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> and, and so she said, well, get this farm, you know. And so I went to the process. I've got the farm now. And she said, I have to have it by the end of the year. She said, i got to spend it before the end of the year. And I said, well, how much money are you talking about? She said, $1,000. I said, Okay, so I got a $1,000 grant from Walmart. So the grand total, drum roll, $59,246. As you can see, this is, thank you, uh, and thanks to all of y'all, by the way, because y'all helped. This is our house, and you can see all the gifts. This is just the Christ Haven for Children gifts. 
And so we'll, we'll be getting to the kids here in a minute. And I want to tell you just a few things about some of those children. A few, few of the men have said to me, gosh, those were so many gifts, you know, that, that, you know, I didn't even give my own kids those gifts. And I said, but you know what? You, that's my daughter with Caitlin, Kathy's daughter. And wrapping presents till 1230 in the morning, the, the you know, the, the night before. <laughs> This is picky. We had, we were loaded up. We just prayed. This is the presents going to open arms. And that, we filled up almost the entire trailer. Now this is out at Christ, this at Little Pete's where we did the Christ Haven. So you're seeing the, the gifts for Christ Haven. Anyway, some of the kids, and you'll see some of them in a minute. There's Eldon and Thurman. Are they a handsome pair there? <laughs> well, like there's going to be a little baby that you're going to see in a minute, not John David. But uh, another little baby, Olivia, she's going to be two months old. And people were still giving me presents, so I was having to figure out who needed to get them. And Olivia was a rape child. And, the, and here's some of the kids now. So, you know, now you have to start to understand a little bit. There's a little boy, I think the second little boy there started rolling into a ball at one point because he only had a couple of presents and the people around him had more presents than he did. He eventually got a lot of presents. But, you know, just we were going through that. But he got really, he's six years old, and he got really upset. He only had a couple of presents, and some people got upset about it. I think uh, the second little girl's Caitlin, who's four, who never had Christmas ever before. All these kids have never had Christmas. We still have, there's Olivia right there that someone's holding, but there's some better pictures of her. Those are the house parents that are there with each set of kids. Of course, that's Wendy and Cheryl. <laughs> so Olivia, her her dad, who is has charges of assault, he has charges of rape, he has DWIs. There's Olivia right there. She uh, he wants this child, and he's fighting in the courts to get to that, that little baby, and she's as precious as I'll get out, but from rape. And so uh, Amy, the child advocate, who I'll point her out in a minute. She wanted us to pray that Olivia, there's already a family set up to adopt Olivia as soon as they can get through this court case. And so we prayed in agreement with her last night that that, that would go on that way. I had another little boy. I had two Daniels. I had a Daniel and Daniel R. And Daniel R. got very upset because he wasn't getting very many presents. And he started to cry. And so I went over to him and he said, will you give me my next present when you find it? I said, yes, I will. And praise God, the next present that came up for him came to me. So I got to give it to him. And I told him, Daniel, I said, you have lots of presents. You know, you're going to have your heart's desire. Just wait till the end. And I said, I'll be sure everything's okay. So it, we did. We got it all worked out. And uh, he was happy when he left. But they told me he was the most easy been there for several years but he's the most emotional child they have because of the things that have happened to him so uh it was just it was very moving the whole day my husband said a prayer and made all of us cry i told him christy said tell him thanks a lot he ruined our makeup at that point (laughs) it was a great prayer honey it was a great prayer we fed them all that's christy and eric that's my daughter and her husband and uh, they just had a, they had a wonderful time, and every house parent came up to me and said, you just have no idea how much you blessed all these kids. You just don't have an idea that you're there looking, you know. Uh, these, that family there saw the newspaper article, and they called me, and they brought presents. Uh, so that Santa Claus was coming up on a, a yacht. We sang happy birthday to Jesus and uh, with all the kids, and... Of course, we talked about Jesus, and that you know that's why we were having the party, and and that's the cake that we always get every year where my dad used to work, and 
they're always sweet. And that's Gavin. He's 10 months old, I believe. Or No, he's two. Maybe two. Uh, that's uh, Amy, the child advocate, and uh, he's the executive director, Kelly Moore. And then th- that's the AMBUX that always helps. That's the trike bike thing that they give for the people that are paralyzed. And so they always give me money every year, and that's Tracy that always helps us. And he, he moved a lot of stuff. He actually moved the $10,200 worth of uh, furniture that was given to Open Arms from Stacy Furniture. Well, Tracy moved it for us over there. And so I want to talk about Open Arms also as, as, as all this is going back. Last night after we finished, and Ellen and Nancy and Thurman and I went over to Open Arms over in North Richland Hills, or in Richland Hills. And uh, it was really... The lady said to me, we filled up a whole stage, and the stage was much bigger than this, and it was full of presents. And, of course, their whole room was full of furniture. And she says, "How? what's the magic word to get something like this done? I said, Jesus. And she went, wow. <laughs> and she said, I have never. She said, did you get a grant to do this? I said, no. no okay, this is uh, back, back up. This is a young man that I gave my Christmas money to get him a laptop because he wants to be a vet and go to, to Texas A&M. Next to him is Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah, this is his first. Actually, both those boys is their first year. Um, Jeremiah came up to me, and he was so sad, just so sad and withdrawn. And he's only been in the system just a few weeks, and he's not in his regular home yet. He's staying with the rotating home at the moment. And he was just sad. That's all I can tell you. He was sad. And so I said, Jeremiah, you ever been here before? And he he said, no. He said, well, I said, well, you, you know what's going to happen? He said, no. <laughs> I said, well, you're going to get to eat everything you want, and you're going to get all the desires of your heart. <laughs> he was like, wow. I said, yeah. So then I escorted him over to Thurman and Ty, and I said, love on this boy. He needs some love. Because, I mean, this kid, you know, his, his mouth was down, and he just he was sunk in, you know. But he wasn't sunk in when he left that day. He, he was changed. And, and then I think his name is Chris, Chris, that was going to A&M. Yeah. And, of course, he said, I got my, and you'll see there's a picture. He said, I got my laptop. And I said, yeah, I took my birthday money and sowed that seed into you, and I expect you to do great things. So, you know, God, God's going to use all these kids. And that's, of course, now this girl, she's been in the system for a while. This is uh, Rebecca H., I believe. And everybody was happy. You know, she got her particular American Eagle stuff that she wanted. Um, let's see, that one's, um, and she wanted Aeropostale jeans. Everybody wanted certain things. And, of course, they got everything they wanted. And that's Brandy. She's got a new bracelet on. So everybody got everything they wanted. I even went out and bought the four-in-one crib. I think that must be Trey. That's who I bought the crib for. And that's uh, AJ. And you see he's got the New Living Testament right there. Everybody got a Bible. And everybody was happy. It was a great day. Okay. Well, to open arms now, that's Julissa. So y'all probably saw some of the names. That's uh, Jesse. But they, they had a great day. They had a great day. And I think that that may be Caitlin that was her first first year to have a Christmas. But that's the whole thing. These kids never have had Christmas. They've never had new toys. They've never had new clothes. So it, it's really, you know, it's it's such a blessing to see all of them be happy. And, and they just they just tell me over and over again how blessed they are and how much that it just means so much to them to get all that. That's Marcus, to get all the things that that they want, you know, because they they talk about this all year long. They don't they don't get anything during the year. If we don't give them something, they don't get birthday presents. 
They don't get to go out to eat. They don't get to go, you know, I, I got them, uh, everybody got a Six Flags season pass. They don't get to do what other kids get to do. Okay. So open arms, we went there last night and delivered all their presents with the trailer. And the lady started telling me about the program because, you know, she just was overwhelmed with the furniture. If the only way women get in this program, they have to be on the street or they have to be in an emergency shelter. And HUD finances housing for them. And this place was a locked up kind of security, like, Compound. compound. I guess that's the best way to put it. It wasn't like apartments or anything like that. It was a compound that was secured that you couldn't get into. Okay? And because these women are all in hiding from somebody that's been abusing them and their children. So they teach them about breaking the cycle of domestic violence, you know, that kind of thing. The women have to get a job within 90 days or they get pushed out of the program. But she said we normally give them a lot of time, you know, work with them. They counsel them. They teach them a lot of things. Once they're, they stay in this compound area, uh, then they move them into subsidized housing where, you know, they help them in the program and say they only make 500 a month, but they'll, you know, only have to pay 100 a month for housing or something like that. Well, these women had nothing. So I would like our church to start taking all our used furniture and clothes, and you can either, I'll, once you have something like that, you can either bring it, if it's portable, that we can carry in the suburban, or if it's bigger things, they'll pick it up. And I think we need to start giving to them because, I mean, it's it's sad. It's very sad. And they said they all they do, they come with this clothes on their back, and they may, they have, each of them has a sack, and they may have a couple toys in it or in some clothes, and that's, they've either been living in a car or they're living on the street, they're totally homeless on the street, or they're in these emergency shelters. And I cannot imagine living like that. I can't. I mean, it just breaks my heart. And so I just think as a church we can come together and, you know, either funnel some money over there, funnel the clothes, funnel the used furniture, because they'll take anything. I mean, they, they don't have anything, so they'll take anything, you know. And, I mean, gosh, I, I, I just think that we can do that. I think there's no reason why we can't do it. So, if you want to give money to any to Open Arms or to Christ Haven, just write it out to TLSM. I still need a little bit more money. I still have some money coming from American Airlines and a couple of other sources that haven't shown up yet. I'm still trying to play catch up. <laughs> but you know how that is. I just had to get everything for everybody, and they did. They got air. the only thing that they didn't get. I didn't get a used lawnmower. For one of the women in the, in the over at Open Arms, and I did not get a used car. So if somebody has a car they want to sew, they need cars, um, and they need a lawnmower. So anyway, it was great. It was beautiful. Uh, we cried a lot. It was just it was just great. And I wish you'd been there if you weren't there. But I do want to thank everybody that gave money, and I want to thank everybody that wrapped presents because we couldn't have done it without you. We could not have. So to celebrate all that the goodness that y'all have done. Friday, December the 29th, we're having a uh, Christmas party, a fellowship Christmas party over at Marlene Mitchell's house from 7 to 10, and we'd love for all of y'all to come. There's a sheet over there on the, uh, right by the, as you go out, just grab one. And just again, thank you. You can see all the kids. They were they were singing uh, Christmas carols at the end, and they were so precious. And anyway, just thank y'all for everything you did. We love you. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise the Lord.
Now then, all of you that grumbled and complained, you don't have enough Christmas. I want every one of you to get on your face and repent right now and tell God you're sorry. And I want you to tell Him how grateful you are that everything you have. You know, I mean, if you if you had a problem this morning, I don't care what it was. If you just got up and and your wife burned your egg this morning, if you grumbled, I want you to repent. <laughs> At least you got an egg and you had a place to be. You know, if somebody said, "Well, I didn't get the nice enough Christmas this Christmas," I'm telling you, if you're still walking and talking, you ought to be. And if you got a place to lay down, you know, good grief. As we looked at these people and saw these poor women and these kids, you know, that nothing. You know, I mean, it, 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 it is it is heart wrenching, you know, to think. I mean, hey, if you're if you're a if you're a human being and you're able to walk and you're grumbling and complaining about anything, you need to get on your face before God and tell Him how sorry you are. You know, I mean. Good grief. I mean, I, I, I guess I just, I just want to say, get over it. I guess that's all I can say. Is if you got a problem this morning, it's small stuff. You know, I mean, you got here today. And if you were able to get here and you had enough money to get here and you had a car to get here, praise and worship the King. You know, if you had a house to come from this morning, praise and worship the King. You know, my goodness, grace is alive. I mean, I remember the first time I went over to uh, India. When I went to India that time, I went to Calcutta. I delivered, I was flying DCH back in those days, and I know most of you never heard about it, uh, but there was a huge tidal wave. That, it was something like a tsunami. You know, I didn't even know what those things were called, but back in those days, there was a huge tidal wave come from the Indian Ocean. They came inland in there, and there was millions of people living in those little islands out there in that bay of the Indian Ocean. And there was a hundred-foot tidal wave came inland. And when the highest place out there is six or eight feet above sea level, you can imagine when that wave that went inland six to seven miles, when it went back out, you can imagine what was left. Death and destruction. Nothing. It killed a million people when it came in. Most people never even heard about it. I didn't hear about it until the organization... The airline I was flying with got uh, a request from one of the big giving organizations to fly plane loads of, of food and blankets and all kinds of stuff over there to that part of the world. I happened to get to go on one or two of those trips. We went over there the first time, and the guys that I got to talk to over there, the pilots, that was taking the pallets of food and stuff, canned food, they said, the first load of stuff we took over there, these people, by the time they got there, they'd been six and seven days without any food. So it says when they landed the helicopters, they almost didn't get off because the people almost killed them to get the food. So... They had to start going over and flying over them low and just pushing everything out. And he said, we literally watched 
people kill the person in front of them with a club for a can of something to eat. And you're complaining? You're complaining because you didn't get up right this morning? You're complaining because your husband didn't do something right today? You're complaining because your wife didn't do something right today? You're complaining because you ain't got a nice enough car? You're complaining because you're living in a car on the street? Well, get over it! You don't know how lucky you are. We don't know how lucky we are in America. That was the most devastating thing I ever saw in my life. And to think we were hauling that stuff over there, giving it to those people, and a million people died that day when that thing came in. And then over the next four or five days, another million plus died with sickness and disease. At least two million people died within a week. And most people in America didn't even hear about it. You were going to town as normal, grumbling about too much traffic. You know, uh, well, you burn my food. I think about Christie's restaurant. I was sitting out there one night and stayed with everybody was doing everything they could. And some guy got extremely upset because something wasn't exactly right. And he just raised a ruckus. You know, it's a good thing I was a Christian. I wanted to get up out ahead of club. <laughs> I wanted to get up and tell that guy, you know, I'm going to take you and I'm going to take you to Mexico and I'm going to kick you out down there in the backwoods down there. And I'm going to come back and get you in a week and we're going to see how good you like that food that's in that place. You know, if you ain't never had, I'm going to tell you, right now in America, there are so many people grumbling and complaining. When you try to do good, I'm not going to use the words, but I'm going to tell you, Cheryl took me in the other night and I said, honey, you got to hear this email, this voicemail. There is a man that comes to our ministry that loves God with all his heart, and he wanted 500 of our DVDs which we gave to him to give. He said, I realize I'm not doing enough for Jesus. He said, I'm going to give God's power, on CD rather, I'm going to give God's power to everybody in my community. I'm going to tan carry them and lay them on their doorstep or put them in their mailbox. So I give them to him to take. And you want to stir up the devil, you just take God's power and give it to him. We had a man called the ministry center, and this guy used every kind of foul word you can imagine. You blankety blank, blankety blank, blankety blank, blankety blank, blank. I will hunt you down, and I will kill you if you ever leave another one of these things on my doorstep. I mean, you can't imagine the foul words that was on that voicemail. As soon as we got through it, I said, honey, just go ahead and delete it. But now let's go to the throne of grace and let's kick that devil out of that guy and let's stick the Holy Ghost on him. See? See? I mean, if I ain't stirring up some devils of what I'm doing, I ain't doing nothing for the kingdom of God. If I'm not having to undergo some persecution and some suffering, I ain't doing nothing for the kingdom of God. So if you're going this Christmas and nothing's coming, nothing's happening, you know, you're not being confronted by something, well then get over it. Start doing something that will raise the devil up. If everything's going perfect in your family, if your wife's loving you and your husband's loving you and your kids are all loving you, ain't nobody fussing about nothing, you ain't doing something right. <laughs> you ain't doing something right. I'm going to tell you. 
When you start doing it Jesus' way, you're going to raise the devil up against you, and he's going to come against you in so many ways. I mean, it's awesome. And of course, he's going to come against you through your wife. He's going to come against you through your children. He's going to come against you through your husband. He's going to come against you every way he can. But I'm going to tell you, get smart and realize that God's in control. Yes, I mean, Jesus defeated that devil 2,000 years ago, so we don't have to walk there. But it's a choice you and me make every day of your life. When I get up this morning, I've got a choice to be happy today or be miserable today. And I've made my choice. I ain't going to be miserable. I'm going to be happy. I don't care what you do to me. I don't care what you say to me. I'm going to have a good day today. Praise God. And I don't care whether you like it or not. I'm going to have a good day. I don't care if you like the way I sing or not. I'm going to sing out loud. If you don't like it, I'm going to sing anyway. Praise God. Because God likes it. <laughs> you, may, you may want me to sing somewhere else, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm still going to sing praises to the Lord. Praise the King. I mean, when I think about it, I guess, I guess after I saw those poor little children. I mean, I mean the, the reason I, I couldn't even pray yesterday. You know, I tried to pray and I couldn't pray. I couldn't talk. You know? I mean, my heart was so choked up. I'm thinking about these poor little kids. You know, that mamas and daddies are in their penal systems and they've been beat up on it. I don't even make care of what color they are. Red, yellow, black, and white. There's every kind of them. It don't make the devil. He don't, he don't care what color you are. He don't care nothing. I mean, he's out there to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's them little poor little kids. I mean... I mean, it's awful to think of what's going on and those poor little children have no Christmas. They wouldn't have had a Christmas, but at least they got a home. I wonder how many of them little kids is out there on the street, you know, walking the streets of New York City that ain't got no home at all. You know, when I hear some guys, somebody said, well, you know, I was kicked out on the street when I was three. I thought, three? How did you exist? How did you make it? Just like Cheryl said, I can't even grasp these women. I mean, some of them are living in a car. But some of them ain't even got a car. One of those had four children out there by herself with four children. Thank God for open arms. Thank God for men and women. I blessed every one of those men and women yesterday as I would get there. I mean, they might have been a different denomination than I am. But I told them, I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm... Past this denominational stuff. I mean, I want to lay hands on you and pray for you and ask God to bless you. I said, we all work out of the same Bible. We all read the same book. So I'm sick and tired of this nonsense Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, Church of Christ. Hey, it's time we just say, we're the body of Christ. We're believers in the King. We're children of God. Wow, praise God. Woo! But I'm telling you, when you see what we saw yesterday and we see those children blessed and we went over that home last night and donated all that stuff on that woman, she's awestruck. Her and her husband go, how do you get something like this done? When she turned and asked me the same thing, it's amazing. I give her the same exact answer. And I didn't hear Cheryl had already told her. She said, how do you do that? I said, in the name of Jesus, the King of Kings. That's how we get it done. In the name of Jesus. And I think about Moses. Think about this year when Carol said, you know, I'm going to believe God for $50,000. I thought, well, now you got 16000 the first year. 
18,000 next year, 21,000 the next year, and 35,000 the next year, I said, I'm not sure but what you're going a little overboard this year. And no, yeah, that's what everybody else said. Oh, you a little faith. You're supposed to be the man of God. Oh, you of little faith. I've had several people tell me that. So I think about Thurman, do you think my arm's getting a little too short, or what do you think? That 60000 I give them was a piece of cake. All i got to have somebody that will dedicate themselves to go out and put feet to those prayers. I'll bring the resources, son. You just trust me. And awesome. She didn't hit 50000 She hit sixty. Isn't that amazing? If I'm not careful, she'd be feeding the whole underprivileged world in a few years. In the name of Jesus. Now then, I'm going to take some testimonies. Praise God. Okay, we got a couple over here. We got a lady over here first had once. This woman over here told me she wants to be first. So I'm going to let her be first. We're going to see what God has to say here. Come up here, young lady. This beautiful young woman here, she's going to come up here and Come up here and step up here with me and tell us what kind of wonderful thing Jesus done for you. Well, he answered a prayer. Amen. For sure. Uh, I go to a small church, and the pastor and his wife, they have three sons. And Jerry, the oldest, oldest one, got married recently. And uh, his wife's been going to beauty school, and uh, she got a job. And there's like 40 people working there, and uh, they are all... Lately, I've been wanting her to go out and party and drink and all this, and she stood up for She's a strong Christian, and they made fun of her. Yeah, we talked about that a while ago, and that's true. All who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Amen. So are you being persecuted? <laughs> Ever how much you're being persecuted shows you how much you're living for the Lord. So she knew that I had gone to... Um, uh, Barber College after my husband died 30 years ago. And it's a, I'd been used to a world of a family who did not use profanity, were moral, uh, the whole thing. You know, I was very sheltered. I didn't realize I was spoiled. And so uh, I had told her while she was going uh, that I had gone to, to Barber College. She's a hairstylist, I believe. So recently, as she was working and they were all making fun of her and all this, I told Shannon, I said, I tell you what, this next week, every morning at somewhere around 8 o'clock, I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to ask God to give you another person you're working with, a godly or a young woman that's a Christian, because Jesus sent out two by two. And it's difficult to stand one against the devil when there's a bunch. So this morning I saw her coming out the door, and I walked over and I said, I've been praying for you all week, Shannon. And she said, you, I, let me tell you what happened the next day. This woman in that shop walked up to me and said, Shannon, I'm going to start going to church. And I, God answered the prayer. She has a friend now that will stand with her against the devil working through all these other Amen. people. Praise There's going to be a bunch more come to the Lord. Because Amen. It's so Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. 
Let me tell you something. What she said there is really something you can do. When we say we're one amongst 40 or 50 and it's hard to stand, let me tell you, you always remember, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And I don't care if you're one in the midst of 10,000. I mean, I was out there in the business world and I was one man and I walked amongst them. And I'm telling you, I kicked out devils and healed the sick and you can do it and you can glorify your king in the name of Jesus. I don't care if you're one in 10,000. You walk that walk and God will bless you in it. You can do it. It's on. Talk. Okay, I told you last week some of the awesome things God did while I was on my fast. But the the most awesome one was um, God kept putting it on my heart to pray for my mother. And I had groups of people pray with me. And then I talked to her a couple of days ago, and she got hit in the side of on her van in the driver's side. And it did $4,000 damage of the two doors. And this girl did not have a license, had no insurance, and it wasn't even her car. And so God had me pray ahead of time because he knew what was going to happen. She did not have to go to the doctor or the hospital. She said, if it would have been a little closer, it would have damaged me big time and probably killed me. So I am so thankful that... My mother was saved. Amen. So praise God. Amen. That's that's a beautiful part about praying. When the Holy Ghost, John, come on. When the Holy Ghost tells you to pray for somebody, you pray for him. He has a purpose, doesn't he? He definitely does. Hold her up closely. All right. A couple weeks ago, um, for several weeks, I had a tooth that was just uh, very painful. And uh, I was praying. I came. I got prayer here. And... um, it got so bad, it got to the point where I was staying up most of the night till 4 or so in the morning and couldn't sleep. And my wife says, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, I want the Lord to heal me. That's what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I mean, it had gotten to the point where I was ready to get the pliers and pull it myself. And um, when I got to that point where I said, okay, I just want the Lord to heal me. I'm not going to do anything else. I, you know, all I could think about was... Um, if I went to a doctor, I knew that they were going to do a root canal, start drilling in the teeth. And what happens when that happens? You know, it just keeps going downhill, downhill, downhill. And and I've been around that block, and I know where it goes. And I decided I was not going around that block again, and I was going to stand on the Word. And um, praise God. I'm telling you, I prayed for a new tooth. He has given me a new tooth. It's been weak. Amen. And there is no pain, no nothing. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Your faith getting strong, John. Absolutely. What more do I got to do? Okay. Amen. All right, Jeanette, I hope not to embarrass you here. <laughs> but um, the Lord has blessed my wife and I that we've been able to do things for us. Um, and we've been taking ballroom dance lessons. And um, last night we had a, um, a like an exhibition where we did a routine and had to do that. And and we prayed together. We prayed that, you know, that we were one, we would be together, and that when it was all done, we were going to praise the Lord. And I tell you, we did that routine perfectly. <laughs> it worked great, and we're praising God that <laughs> 
we're together, we worked it together, and it just came out to His glory. We're, we're doing that for Him. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Anybody else? Before we get into the Word. Okay, praise the Lord. One time around, it's over. Now we're going to get into the Word. <clears throat> praise the King. Woo, glory to God. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful season when we celebrate the coming of the King because of what He did, we can all be part of His kingdom. Father, we praise You and thank You and worship You now for this mighty Word that You've given us, this book that we are so blessed to be able to carry around with us and read. And I praise You and thank You for this beautiful Word, Lord, that tells us all about You and what You're like. So we don't have to guess. We know. We know what you like and what you don't like and how you're going to do things because you told us in this book. So, Lord, bless it to us as we study today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to go to Luke chapter 19. We're going to start at verse 11. The story of the ten servants is where we're going to start. We're going to talk about this. <clears throat> For those of you that may not be here next Sunday, I want to wish all of you a Merry Christmas season, and I hope for sure you remember what this Christmas season is all about. It's all about our King and the forgiveness that He come and forgave every one of us. While we were all yet wicked sinners, He came and died for you and me so we could be forgiven, so He would forgive us, so we could forgive each other, and I want you to know, always remember that every day is a choice you make as to how you're going to live today. Are you going to live today, you know, healthy and happy and in love? Or are you going to live it grumbling and unforgiveness and sick? It's your choice for every one of you. So take the right choice. It pays good dividends. But remember, it's a choice. Now, in Luke... Chapter 19, verse 11, the story about ten servants. Now, these servants are God's servants. I want to... It says, The crowd was listening to everything Jesus said, and because He was nearing Jerusalem, He told a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. A lot of people thought He came to set up His kingdom, even the apostles. They thought Jesus came to set up His kingdom right now. In fact, uh, you know, a couple of the disciples, you know, they came to Him and said, Lord, we would like to sit on Your right and Your left in Your kingdom. You know, we know them other boys, you know, but, you know, we're special. We don't, we're not worried about them. We want to get here. Now, you think this battle's not going on for power back in those days just like it is today. People want to be something in the church. They want to be something in the government. They want to be something in their job. They want to be first. No, you just humble yourself before God. He'll put you wherever He wants you to be. And He will exalt you if you will put Him first. So if you try to go out there and exalt yourself, it ain't going to work. It will not work. But these ten servants, these, this story that was getting around, He's going to set up His kingdom right now. He's going to set up His kingdom on earth. And he says, no, 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 that's not the way it's going to be. He said, a nobleman was called away to a distant 
empire to be crowned king. Now, this is a story. Jesus is talking about Himself. You know, He's going to be taken away and He's going to go to a distant kingdom and it's back to heaven. And He's going to be crowned King of kings and Lord of lords and God of gods. But He's going to be there. He's not going to be here. He's going to be there. So it says, He was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king, and then He was going to return. Before He left, He called together ten servants. Now, these are men that work for Him. Ten servants. A lot of people here on earth, but only a few get to know Jesus. Well, He called ten of His servants in, and look what He gave these ten servants. He gave them ten pounds of silver. He gave each man one pound of silver. Ten servants, each one of them got exactly the same thing. He told them, he said, now you guys take this money and you invest it because I'm going to go away, but I'm going to come again and I'm going to get you to show me what you've done for me when I come back. Now this is a picture of you and me today. We are His servants. He's left us His Word. He's left us this treasure. And He says, I've told you everything about Myself. i told you what I've liked, what I like. i tell you what I don't like. Now, I'm going to go away for a while, and then I'm going to come back, and I'm going to see what you've done with My Word. I'm going to see, did you invest it? Did you produce fruit for My kingdom? Or what did you do? This is what He tells us in His Word. We are to produce fruit for the kingdom of God. So, He says here, He called together His ten servants and gave them ten pounds of silver. So He gave each one of them the same thing. He gave you and me the Holy Ghost. He gave each one of you His Word. He gave us the same gift that He gave everybody on this earth, the Word of God. Now, what are we going to do with it? He says, and He gave them the ten pounds of silver to invest for Him while He was gone. But His people, the people on the earth, they hated Him. Does the people on earth, just like the testimony we heard a while ago, the precious little lady said that the little lady was trying to stand and they began to make fun of her and laugh at her. Hey, I can't think of nothing I'd rather do than have people laugh at me because I'm a son of God. Oh, Look at that guy over there. He goes to church every Sunday. Come on, go down to the bars with us and hang out and be a man and smoke some good stuff and have a few beers and get drunk with us. You know, hang out with the wild women. You're not a man. You're a wimp. I said, oh, yeah. Let me tell you about my Jesus boys. I ain't never been afraid of the devil since I learned who I was as a Christian. Never. When you learn who you are as a Christian, you walk into the midst of a vampire's nest. You know, about there where I was working with contractors. Keith understands this. He works with them all the time. He's a contractor too. I'd work in the midst of them guys and there's profanity and foul stuff going on in the normal stuff of the world. And you walk out there, good morning, gentlemen, how are you all doing this morning? You know, and all of a sudden they see me and, you know, they kind of quieten down and 
One of the old boys said, well, I'd have to get better to die today. I feel so bad. How would you like for Jesus to heal you? What? How would you like for Jesus to heal you? What are you talking about? I said, you're a Christian? Uh, I said, you're not, but that's okay. Jesus loves you anyway, you big lug. I said, get over here. You've got to learn to talk to these guys just the way they handle each other. Get over here. He comes walking over there. Yes, sir. I said, take your hat off. Why? I said, the Word of God says men are not supposed to pray with their head covered. I said, take your hat off. I reached up and put my hands on and said, I rebuke this sickness in the name of Jesus. I said, now you're healed. I guarantee you in Jesus' name. I turn off and just walk off and leave them. That's the way a man of God does things. And a few minutes, the guy come to my office. I mean, there's total silence among all those guys. They ain't never seen nothing like this. In a few minutes, that guy, or maybe an hour, he come to my office and tapped on the window. I said, come on in. He cracked the door and looked. He said, Mr. Scrivener, where do you go to church? I said, I go to First Baptist Church over in Justin. Why? He said, I ain't never seen nothing like this. He said, the very minute you did what you did out there a while ago, I got well. He said, I feel great. I said, it's just Jesus. I told you He loved you. I said, He's using totally my faith. That's the way people that believe Jesus get things done. You come by a demonstration of the Spirit's power and the King shows up for you. And let me tell you, after that, all them 15 or 18 boys that was always taking the Lord's name in vain, there was cussing and everything else. When I walked on the scene, there was no more cussing. There's no more profanity. And they said, they come up to me and talk to me. Could you tell me a little more about this Jesus? All right. Hey, I don't care if you walk in a bunch one or ten thousand. You walk in a demonstration of the Spirit's power. You have to be afraid of no devils of hell. You know. But now then, you're one of these ten servants. You're one of these ten servants. That's us today. He says, and, but the people hated him. Not the ten servants, but the people. Is that the way it is today? Oh yeah, I don't want to do this blankety blank Jesus. Don't you leave no CD on my doorstep. I'll kill you. Yeah, sure you will. Not with my Jesus protecting me. Not with my angels. I'm not afraid of you. I want you to know whenever I see a man as big as John Hagee is, that when he was teaching these same things, when that man walked down that aisle that Wednesday night in his church and walked right up to right here and John Hagee, he's this wide. You couldn't miss him at six foot with a six gun if you wanted to. I mean, you couldn't be that bad a shot. You couldn't miss me at that range with a pistol. Not from here to me and Ty. But that guy pulled that gun out and said, I'm going to kill you, Hagee. Hagee stepped out from behind the podium and said, No weapon formed against me shall prosper in the name of Jesus. That man shot six times and missed John Hagee all six times. I'm telling you, there's a man that knows who he is. John Hagee knows who he is in Christ. And he ain't afraid of the devils of hell either, I guarantee you. If you hadn't heard him in a while, you need to listen to him once in a while on TV. And he's really good. Really good. He's a man of God. We need a lot of men of God like him. I'll say that. He's one of these he's one of these servants that loves God. But it says this bunch of people which hated him, they even sent a delegation after him to say, We don't want you to be our king. 
How many people do you know today that's telling Jesus that? I don't want nothing to do with you. I don't want nothing to do with your people. Don't come to my house. I'll kill you. Yeah. Isn't that sad? So, I mean, there's no lack of people to pray for out there. So if you say you ain't got nothing to do, <laughs> you, you have got plenty to do, right? You can be on your face. You can be approaching the boldly approaching the throne of grace for these people. You can be coming against the forces of darkness and you can be asking your Heavenly Father to stick the Holy Ghost on these people. And if you ask Him, He'll do it. And I can remember a man one time I walked up to when I think of that being a servant of God and greater is He that lives in me than he that lives in the world. I remember walking up to a man a few years ago and I walked up to him and I said, What's your name? He said, Larry Gooch. I said, you know Jesus? Blankety blank, no. Whoa. You can tell them other guys about that blankety blank religious stuff, but don't you talk to me about it. I don't want to hear it. I said, what did you say your name was? He said, Larry Gooch. I said, good. I said, you're saved and don't know it. He said, what are you talking about? I said, I'm taking you to the throne of grace. You ain't going to have nothing to say about this when I get through with you. Boy, he began to cuss and swear at me. I don't want to do it. That blankety make religious stuff. I said, no problem. I ain't afraid of that devil in him. I mean, every morning. I mean, that man's still alive today. I wish he was here today to give a testimony. I mean, every day for two or three weeks, I drove into work. I'd say, devil. In the name of Jesus, you come and sit down right there in that truck. I got a word for you, for Larry Gooch. I said, I know you've been blind in this man's mind. You got this guy sick and afflicted and tormented. But I said, my Jesus, that's power over you. I said, in the name of Jesus, I am commanding you. Well, right now I'm in the throne of grace and I'm walking. All I'm driving down the road in my pickup in the flesh. I'm in the throne of grace in heaven. I said, devil, I rebuke you and I command you to stop blinding this man's mind to the Word of God. I said, now, Father, I ask you to begin to convict that man of sin with your Holy Ghost. And then, Lord, you send the proper labor into the harvest. And if that labor can lead me, you send me. But I said, Lord, I'm claiming that man's spirit, soul, and body for you and service unto your kingdom forever. Now, he's saved in Jesus' name. I prayed that prayer every day for two or three weeks. Every day I'd thank the Lord for saving that man. Every day. And then one morning, I was after at work early, about four o'clock. Amazing what happens in the wee hours of the morning. But he didn't get off work till six. I was in my office working on a computer program I was trying to get put together. He walked into my office with a cup of coffee in his hand. He said, Hey boss, he said, Can I sit in here and drink my coffee while you're working? I said, Sure. Come in and sat down. I never said another word. He's drinking his coffee. He said, By the way, where do you go to church? <laughs> I said, I go to the First Baptist Church in Justin. He said, well, what do you think about all these preachers that on TV, you know, that always do these bad things? Man, they're wanting your money all the time. And he named a couple of preachers, which I won't name that had made a bad mistake. I said, those are men of God. They made a mistake. They repented. Jesus forgave them. And I said, he said, don't you think they just preach because they want all that money? I said, well, it does cost money, you know, to run the kingdom of God. No two ways about it. But I said, you know, the truth is that when you hear that, the devil will speak to your mind and say, you know, don't dare go to that church. 
Because all that preacher wants is your money. He don't want nothing else but your money. I said, then one day you'll die. And I said, the demons of hell will come get you by the nap of the neck. And they'll say, we fooled you all those years. Now you're going to get to spend eternity with us in this godless hell. And when I said that, he jumped up and nearly knocked his cup of coffee over. And he said, I've heard that voice. I've heard that voice. He said, that devil ain't going to get me. I said, he's going to get you if you don't change your ways. See, I'm not that feel-good preacher saying, oh, you know, maybe if it's God's will. He might say, I said, you're going to lose it. I said, the devil's going to take you screaming into the pit of hell. I guarantee if you don't make a change. I said, God give you the ability to make a choice. Now, you're going to have to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He said, how do I do that? I said, I'll tell you what, you don't know nothing about the Bible, do you? He said, no, I was raised up a Catholic, and I didn't learn nothing about the Bible. I only went to church till I was about 10, and then I quit, and I ain't been since. I said, stop by Walmart this morning on the way home and get you a, a New Living Translation. I said, start reading in the book of Matthew. When you got questions, come and ask me. I'll give you some answers. After two or three weeks, he began to question things he was reading. He was reading every day. And then he run upon where the Lord said something about confessing with your mouth and believing with your heart you can be saved. He says, is it really that simple? I said, it sure is. He said, well, then I, I want to be a Christian. I said, okay. So I led him into the salvation prayer and got him saved. Amen. Totally changed, cleaned his mouth up. I mean, a few months later, one of the boys come up to him and he said, Herman, this stuff you teach really works. I said, what do you mean? He said, Larry, he said, I've known that guy for 10 years. He said, ever since I've known him, every other word out of his mouth is a foul word. He said, he couldn't talk without cussing. Walter said, that sounded like me when I was a young man. <laughs> I knew that's what he was laughing about. Because Walter used to be just as lost as some of the rest of us. You know, he was after a kid on the block. And he'd done all these crazy things. But this is Larry. Larry was, he was also sick and afflicted and everything else. And he said, you know, I have not heard Larry use one single word of profanity since you led him to Jesus. I said, he, he really became a new creature. You know? And so, it wasn't long after that. I was out there one morning, Larry having this problem, and he was, his arm was hurting him real bad. I said, what's wrong? He said, oh, Thurman, he said, my arms, I've had problems that I had surgery on this one. Uh, he said, but that took three, four months for this thing to get healed. And he said, the pain was awful. So he said, I ain't going to have this one fixed. I'm just going to let him put a shot in it every month or so. And then I'll just have to live with it. I said, no, you don't. I said, you're a child of God now. I said, you moved into a new kingdom. You're delivered from the kingdom of darkness. You're translated into the kingdom of light. I said, now God made you and me a book full of promises. And I said, He's forgiven us and washed away all your old wicked sins, all the things you've done. I said, now you go home tonight and you read one verse a dozen times. You go home tonight and read Matthew 18, 19, one verse a dozen times. And you come in tomorrow and tell me what that verse said. How does faith come? By hearing what? The Word of God. He went home that night and he read that about a dozen times or maybe more. And he come back in and he said, Thurman, I mean, that verse says, and that's Jesus talking. It's in red in my Bible. He said, Jesus said, if two of us on earth agree about anything we ask him for, he'll do it. I said, and that's what he means. I said, now can I pray for that arm? He said, well, of course. I reached up and prayed the prayer of faith for that arm to be healed in the name of Jesus. I said, Lord, thank you. It's done. I said, I'm going to raise your arm up. He said, 
oh, it still hurts just like it always did. I said, then it's not going to be a miracle. He said, what do you mean? I said, if God had done a miracle, it would have been instantly healed. You could have raised it straight up. But I said, he's going to heal it. It's going to take a little bit of time. So I said, all you've got to do is start worshiping him, praising him, and thanking him. And I said, in one morning you'll wake up and it'll be him. So about two and a half, three weeks later, he comes screaming in my office one morning with both hands over his head. He said, look, look, look. I said, when did it happen? He said, I don't even know. All I know this morning, I raised both hands up. Now, see, those kind of stories kind of get around in the workplace, you know. And it'll be a little, about six months later, here's this guy down with his back. He's had back troubles 30 years, and they come get him in an ambulance and take him to Grapevine, to the hospital over there in Grapevine, just north of DFW Airport. I go over there that night after work, and I walked in, and I told him, I said, Larry, what did the doctor say? He said, I got these ruptured discs, and I've had these discs for years. He said, my back has finally gone completely out. The doctor's done all these x-rays today, and they tell me I'm going to have to have surgery, but I'm going to have to lay here three or four days in traction before all this stuff can go back in place and the swelling can go down before they can do the surgery. I said, but Jesus said in Mark 16, 17, and 18, I can drive this devil out of you and I can lay my hands on you and he will heal you. I opened my Bible and I read that to him. He said, man, that Matthew 18, 19 sure did work good for my arm. He said, let's do it. See, I don't have to cross-train this guy. He ain't been to church. He don't know nothing about the Word of God. So when I read it to him, he just leaves it. Isn't that simple? Now, if he'd have been in a Baptist church all his life, I'd have had a little more trouble getting him healed. Or a Methodist or a church or any other, any church that told you that these things don't work. But see, he hadn't been there. I didn't have to cross-train him. So I prayed over him. I said, now then, Larry, since I prayed over you, laid hands on you, I said, all you need to do is in the morning, when you wake up, take the traction stuff off, get up and go home. You're healed. Isn't that amazing? Amen. So he just went ahead and slept through the night. The next morning he woke up and told his wife, said, undo all that stuff. She said, but Larry, the doctor said, he said, I don't care what that doctor said. said, Jesus made me a promise. See, that's faith, isn't it? I mean, his wife took them things off. He gets up and he starts walking around. There ain't no pain or nothing. The doctor comes and says, what are you doing out of that bed? I can understand this, being a good doctor. What are you doing out of that bed? He said, well, the, the Lord Jesus has healed me. Uh, yeah, sure he has. Uh, yeah, get back in that bed. We're going to put the traction back on you. He said, no, I'm healed. I'm going home. He said, no, you're not going home. He said, you just feel better because we've been stretching you out all night. And that's what he said, no, I'm telling you, sir, Jesus has healed me. He said, no, get back in that bed. He said, no, I'm not getting back in that bed. I'm going home. The devil's doing everything he can to put him back in that bed. And he ain't buying this. Finally, the doctor said, okay, we're going to go do another test on you. I'm not releasing you until I do some more x-rays. They checked Larry all day long. And finally, about 4 o'clock that afternoon, they couldn't find nothing wrong with him. They released him. He'd come by working, jumping up and down, praising God. and said, Thurman, I'm healed, just like you said. Hey, I'm going to tell you what. When you believe God's Word, when you walk like that, you can walk amongst a thousand demons of hell. You can walk among a million unbelievers and you don't have to let them devils have you a bad day. Amen. You can have a good day in Jesus' name, but I'm going to tell you, you're going to be persecuted. Yes, Consider pure joy. Praise the King for the privilege to be persecuted. Well, it's going to happen. Look at these servants. The servants, they took the ten one-pound pieces of silver but the people hated him 
Does the average person today hate God? Oh, yeah. They don't want nothing to do with God. You get out there in the workplace where me and you live, you can find out real quick. I mean, there's profanity, cussing, I mean, swearing, guys talking about who they slept with last night, who they run around their wives, out of town, come back in and say, oh man, when you go to Minneapolis, let me give you the best prostitute I ever found. These are guys that, some of them go to church. Some of them. Awful. They don't know Jesus. They don't know Jesus. Nah. They don't have a clue. By whose authority, whoops, I'm on the wrong page. Page turned over. When he returned, the king called in the servants to whom he had given the money, the ten. Now, one of these days, he's coming back and he's going to call you in. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for the king to come today and call you in? Boy, if you're not, you better get some confessing done and get right with him. Because you don't know, he may come for you today. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. I guarantee you, you can be alive and well and everything can be going great. And you think, wow, I've got another 50 years I know. And the king will say, you fool, tonight your soul is going to be required of you. So don't live there. Be ready all the time. Because you never know when your personal rapture is going to come. And for many people, it's going to come today. There'll be multitudes of people die today on this earth. He wanted to find out what they had done with the money and what their profits were. He expects you to produce a profit with His Word. Do something for Him. The first servant reported a tremendous gain. Ten times as much as the original amount that was given to him. Look what the king said to him. Well done. Do you want to hear that? I do. Well done, you faithful servant. The king explained, You are a trustworthy servant. You have been faithful with a little that I entrusted you with, so you will be governor of ten cities as your reward. You will reign with me as a governor or an administrator over ten cities because you received ten times what I gave you. Hmm. The next servant also reported a good gain. Five times the original amount. Well done, the king said. You can be governor over five cities. Wait a minute. Do you think your position in eternity is going to revolve around what you and your rewards is going to revolve around what you've been faithful over down here on earth? Ernest is over shaking his head, yes. So that means if I don't produce any fruit for the kingdom of God, I don't want to be... We all sat down last Friday a week ago with Howard Pittman. Howard Pittman was a Baptist preacher in 1979 that had a death experience that died and got to go to heaven. When he got there, God told him he was not going to get any rewards. 
But Lord, I have served you. He said, you didn't do nothing for me. You did everything for yourself. You didn't believe my word. You didn't believe my promises. You didn't act on them. You didn't do nothing for me. Nothing. So he said, you ain't going to get no rewards. How would you like to be a Baptist preacher? Priest on the streets, worked your tail off, done all kinds of things, and you think you're going to get to heaven and God's going to pat you on the back and say, well done, son. And when you get there, he says, you ain't going to get nothing. You didn't do nothing for me. You want to hear that? I don't either, Ernest. I don't want to hear that. I want to do something for the kingdom. I want to walk in obedience to His Word. And I ain't going to let nobody give me a bad day. I don't care if I wake up in this morning and somebody comes into my house and does all kinds of bad things to me and say all kinds of nasty things. I am still not going to have a bad day. I ain't going to let nobody come in and make me have a bad day. I'm going to have a good one because it's my choice. You know, you know how many people today allow the devil through somebody that they love ruin their whole day? You know how many people in the church that happens to every day? You have no idea how many men and women we minister to on a regular basis that one or the other is allowing the devil to beat upon him and all the time they got all power over the beast. They don't have to go there. But it has never sunk down in their spirit who they are in Christ. It's never got there. Now then, he says there, when we will reign with him, let's look at some of these scriptures that talks about we'll get to reign with the king. Think about this. Let's go to the first one, Romans chapter 5, verse 17. I want you to turn over there to Romans 5, 17. I want you to see what he says in Romans 5, 17. I mean, I have taught some entire tapes over this one verse, but Romans 5, 17, I want you to see what the Word of God says. Romans chapter 5, verse 17, he says, The sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over us all. But all who receive God's wonderful, gracious gift of righteousness. Now, who is he talking about there? Jesus! That's right, Tom. He's talking about Jesus. All of us that receive this wonderful gift of Jesus. This is where we're supposed to live. Listen. To all of us that receive God's wonderful, gracious gift of righteousness, we'll live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Is that awesome? Let me read that to you out of the King James. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one. Jesus Christ. When are you going to reign? Right now. Everybody says, when we all... Oh, I can just hear that old song. When we all get to heaven. Oh, glory. It's going to be nice when we get to heaven. But what about right now? I want to reign now, don't you? I want to live the abundant life now. I want to live in health and prosperity now. I want to have my needs met now. I don't want to be one of those poor kids, or those poor women that we ministered to this weekend. I don't want to be one of those. But do you know none of them have to be there? 
You know the price has been paid for every one of them. They could all be sitting in this church or some church today filled with the Holy Ghost, walking in obedience to God's Word, and they could be blessed with health and prosperity just like I have been. You know that? Somebody says, are you one of them prosperity preachers? I'm telling you, I'm preaching what Jesus preached, and He was a prosperity preacher. They said, but Jesus said, He laid down everything, and He became poor that you might become rich. It all is relative. When you think about me and Bill Gates, you look at me and you say, Thurman's very poor compared to Bill Gates. The guy is worth billions. But let me tell you, I'm not poor. I got enough money to pay my bills. I got a nice house and I got a nice car to drive and the baby's paid for. My insurance is paid up on it. And I don't owe nobody a dime and I got a little bit of money in the bank. I ain't got millions, but I got enough to pay my groceries next week. And I know God's going to pay them beyond that, so I don't have to sweat that. So I'm a rich man in Christ. You see where we're coming from here? Hey, all of us could do that. Every person, God in His Word promised if we would be obedient and serve Him, He said, you will never beg bread. He said, you will never have... He said, I mean, we in the church... I mean, yesterday, I was sitting out there talking to a woman, and I was talking to her about Jesus. And she read a poem. And it was a great poem. And said, in the end, we find out the Bible is true. That was the last closing statement of the poem. So, I'm sitting there talking with her. And all of a sudden, she starts to take a drink out of her drink. And as she takes the drink, all of a sudden, she's... Her eyes... It was so funny. Her eyes get real funny, straight looking. And she spits it back into the cup. And she said... I'm sorry I just spit that back in a cup, but there was something in my drink. And she held it down a little, and it was a yellow jacket. <laughs> she had sucked it into her, he was in her drink having a drink while she was holding the cup. And when she turned it up to drink, she was talking to me. She sucked that little beast right down her mouth, and she felt him fly in her mouth. <laughs> and she knew this was not normal. <laughs> And so she spit him out. And then she saw what it was. And she said, I'm glad that thing didn't sting me in my mouth. She said, I'm allergic to them. And I would have swelled up. I said, I thought you told me you were a Christian. She said, I am a Christian. I said, then you either don't believe the Word or you don't know it. She said, I do believe the Bible. I said, well, then you don't know God's promises. I said, if you did, you know that you could overcome that with the Word. And she sat there and talked to me for just a few minutes and then all of a sudden, I don't know where the devil worked on her. She said, I've got to run to the bathroom right quick, but I'll be back in just a minute to debate this with you. But she lied. She never did come back and I saw her two or three times. You know why she didn't come back? Because the devil knew he didn't want her with me because the Lord had empowered me with His Word, and I know the Word. And that devil didn't want her with me because he knew if he put her back, and he was the devil would bring her back, and she would encounter me with the Word of God. He was defeated before he got started. You don't want to mess with me with the Word. I don't know it all, but I know enough to kick that devil out. I know enough to get you saved. I know enough to get you healed, right? I may not know everything. I know I don't know everything, but I have spent my midnight oil in this book. Many hours I've spent in here, just like at 2 o'clock this morning. Where am I at this morning at 2 o'clock? I'm still in this book. I'm reading and studying this book. 
getting everything together for today. I'm studying this book. Now, God's no respecter of persons. What did He say we could reign in life when? Now. But you've got to learn how to do it. Okay, let's go to another Scripture. Let's go to Romans 5.21. There we're in 17. Let's go on down a little bit further to 5.21. So, just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful kindness rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, to those of us that accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord, we have eternal life and we have it now. We don't have to worry about when we get to heaven. If you die right now, you ain't never going to cease to be. I mean, you know, so we should not, when somebody dies that we love, we should not go into screaming rage. We should say, Lord, I'm sure we're going to miss them. But praise God, I know they got to graduate and go home with you first. One day, I'm going to be there too. I don't know when it's going to be. I sure having lots of fun serving Jesus on the earth, so I'm in no hurry to go home to be with Jesus because I'm going to get to be with Him there forever. Right now, I want to be here about His work because there's a lot of devils that need to be kicked out and a lot of people need to know this mighty King. And I've got a job, and you have got a job to do. We're these ten servants, and we're going to produce something with what He's given us, and we're going to find out what He's going to do with these things. Now then, let's go to Romans 6.12. Turn over a few pages to Romans 6.12. I want you to see what the Lord says. He has given you a command. This is what you can do in Romans six twelve. He says, Do not let sin control the way you live. Amen. Now, too many people in the church today are allowing sin to control their life. It's easy. Now then, don't you dare look at me and say, Well, I've never failed to sin. Because I'm going to tell you, you're a liar and you just fail right there. I'm going to tell you, there ain't a human being in this room hadn't failed to sin. For sure, me. You know, but all of us have failed to sin. But once we become Christians, it's supposed to become a different deal. Once we become a Christian, we are not, you are not to let sin control the way you live. You know? God's not going to do it. He's already provided everything, and He gave it to you and told you what to do. You don't let sin control your life. He says, do not give in to its lustful desires. Oh, you're driving down the road, and your neighbor's driving a new car. And yours is five years old. And that thought comes to your mind. Now, you're not making quite enough money to buy a new car, yet you still got that big house payment. But that little thought comes to you, oh, you need to keep up with your neighbor. I mean, you know, good grief, look at him. He's got a new car. You don't want to be driving an old five-year-old junker, you know, when he's got a new one. And look at what he bought. He bought a new Mercedes. You know, you need something better than that. I mean, those kind of thoughts come, you know it? People go out and spend money they don't have because of these lustful desires, and they fall to the things of the world. You, I mean, if you got a million dollars and you want to buy a new BMW, hey, go for it. You know, no problem. If it's not going to put you in any kind of stress or strain, but if the car you buy puts you in stress or strain, then you're sinning. 
You're living outside of your means. You know, if you want to move into a new home so you can be meet up here with the Joneses, if you want to call it that, you know, you, you want to say, tell the guys, well, we just moved into a $250,000 home. Mm-hmm. I really didn't want to tell you how much it costs, but you know, it only costs 250000 Well, the guy said, gee, I know you bought a lot even last year, and you told us it cost $187,000. i am sorry, you couldn't buy one as nice as mine. But, you know, that's, just, that's terrible. But people live like that. You know, somebody said, well, you know, I can remember different people telling me when I got in the ministry, Oh, Thurman, you need to buy nicer clothes, more expensive suits, all kinds of things. I had several people tell me that. I said, no, no, that's okay. I'll just buy them from Walmart or Target or somewhere like that. You know, I'm not going to buy fancy clothes, and I'm not going to. In fact, I had a man the other day come out to the minister's center and told me, he said, when you spoke at Gateway, you impressed me because... You didn't wear a high-dollar suit, and you didn't sit on the front row with everybody else. He said, you kind of set up a little, you humble yourself. And he said, that's why I believe in you. And he said, after you got through preaching, I heard you preach. He said, man, I was really touched with your message. What if I had on a $5,000 suit and got up there? He might have said, he better have been turned off because I was one of those fancy preachers. Well, you don't have to worry I'm telling you, here a while back, I had about three suits to my name. And I wore one, you know, every other third, or third Sunday or whatever, tried to. And Cheryl kept telling me, you need some more suits. No, 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 no. If God wants me to have some more suits, he'll give them to me. <laughs> well, let me tell you, did he ever? I got, how many was it? Fifteen? Fifteen suits given to me at one time that fit per, and this was one of them, you know. Was given to me. I didn't have to buy nothing. Jesus obviously thought I needed some. Now, what these suits cost, I don't know. Y'all might have thought I needed some new ones too, but that's okay. It didn't make no difference with me. I had one. I'm going to be like Smith Wigglesworth. Lord, I need two suits, one to wear while one's in the cleaners. And as long as you keep me with at least two and two pairs of shoes, I'm going to keep serving. If you don't, I'm going back to plumbing. Lord, I'm going back to engineering, but he has done a great job on providing me with I got more suits now. Lord, I've never Lord, I never have to go back to engineering. I've never made enough money engineering to make where this kind of these number of suits. I never had a closet with eighteen suits in it at the same time in my whole life. Never. But I do have now. Amen. But you come out and look at my closet. Uh huh, that's what I thought. You're spending all that money. No, let me tell you, them were a gift. I didn't buy none of them. They were a gift. So praise God, right? Amen. Or like my wife. Woo! I'm going to tell you what. In my wife, she wears that beautiful black meat full-length coat she's got. I mean, it's just what I thought. Just what I thought. Thurman's spending all that money for his wife, a beautiful coat. Let me tell you, she bought that thing off of eBay for what? what $17.50. Oh, well, Sharon, when she saw it, she said, my goodness, I had a friend, I would look just like it here a while back, cost $10,000. Well, let me tell you, Cheryl's full-length mink coat cost less than 30 bucks shipped to her. So if you see her wearing a full-length mink coat, say, thank you, Jesus. That was from Jesus. That was a gift from the Lord. It was not an expensive gift, but sure is. He will dress his daughters up beautiful, and he don't have to pay nothing to do it. You know, I'm telling you, God will, he just blesses our socks off. He really does, you know. 
It's a wonder I can even walk around the ministry center with socks on. You know, I'm just socks on. Oh, my goodness gracious. Then he says there, he said, do not let any part, any part, do not let any part of your body become a tool of wickedness. Any part. A hand, a head, a sex organ, or anything. Don't let anything in your body, don't let any part of your body become a tool of wickedness to be used for sinning. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, and since you have given, been given new life, and you use your whole body as a tool to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. Now, it used to be, when you were a child of the devil, you couldn't prevent sinning. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you cannot not sin. When the devil comes upon you, he will take you. I mean, uh, Paul was telling Timothy, uh, I forget what verse is, 2 Timothy 2, 25 or 26, I think it is. If you're a lost person or if you yield to sin, the devil will take you captive at his will. He'll take you captive. All you've got to do is just yield to that beast. Now then, if you're a child of God, you can yield to him too. He'll still take you captive and he'll make you sin if you're not very careful. You've got to be a great Christian. You've got to know the Word. You've got to be walking obedient to the Word. I know many a man and a woman that were Christians that have yielded to the devil. Don't you? You think since you've been a Christian, since you got baptized, you called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you let me know if there's one single one of us in this room that didn't sin multiple times after you became a born-again Christian. Not any of us. We've all fell short. Why? Because we didn't know the Word. The more the Word you know, the easier it is to overcome this devil. He says there, So since God's grace has set us free from the law, does this mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that whatever you choose to obey becomes your master? And he's talking to Christians here. You can choose sin. You can choose sin, can't you, as a Christian? But what's the consequences? The next line says, sin leads to what? Oh, sin leads to death. You wonder why so many Christians die at early death. You want to know why? Because they chose sin. Sure. They chose sin. And it brings forth death. See, every time you sin as a Christian, the demons of hell come in and start cutting away at you. And they cut away at you. And they cut away at you. And they cut away at you. And every time you sin, they cut away at you. And then all of a sudden, you come down with a terminal illness. And then you can't find somebody to intercede for you. You can't find somebody to tell you that what you've been doing is wrong. You're not serving God. You're not doing what He says. You're not spending any quiet time with Him. You're not putting Him first. You're breaking every kind of commandment. And sickness and disease has come upon you. You're not walking by faith. You've not studied the Word. You didn't do what God says. You said, well, I give God every Sunday. What else does He expect? He expects 24-7. Let me tell you what He expects. 24-7. Yeah. 
He wants to rule your life. Now, if you'll let Him rule your life, He'll change your life. He'll do great things, but you can't do it outside of the Word. You can choose sin, but it will lead to death. Or you can choose to obey God, and you can receive His approval. Isn't that awesome? But it's written right there in the Bible. Now then, let's go to Revelation 5, 9 and 10. Revelation 5, 9 and 10. Revelations, last book of the Bible. Revelations chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. I want you to see something. 5, 9, and 10. He says, You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it, for you were killed and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And verse 10, And you have caused them to become God's kingdom and His priest, and they will reign on the earth. Are you somebody special? Yes, you are. You're a son or a daughter of the King of the universe, and because of what the blood of Jesus did for you, you have become a nation of kings and priests, and you will reign on the earth. How many Christians do you know that's reigning on the earth? I don't know many. I know very few. Why? Because they don't believe the Word. They don't know the Word. They're spending too much time in the world. I want to turn to Revelation 20, verse 6. Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. I'm going to be a part of the first resurrection. Aren't you? Yes, because we're sons and daughters of God. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection... For then the second death holds no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with Him a thousand years. So this is talking about a different time than right now. There's going to be a time when the Lord's going to come back and He's going to lock up the devil for a thousand years. And you and I, think about this, you and I in our glorified bodies are going to be governors and administrators over the whole earth and we're going to reign with Him for a thousand years. What are you going to do if God comes up to you one day and says, I'm going to make you governor over Dallas? What are you going to do? Because the devil will make you governor over Chicago for the next thousand years. Hey, you'll vote for him? It ain't going to be no voted in deal. There ain't going to be nobody going to have to run for office. The king's going to delegate this. Keith, you're going to be it. And he's going to put you over whatever according to your obedience while you're here right now. You know that? If you serve him in obedience here, he said, I might even put you over ten cities. What if you'd have made twenty times? Oh, maybe I put you over twenty cities in the kingdom. Isn't that amazing? 
we're going to reign with Him on the earth as His governors and administrators in our glorified bodies for 1,000 years. That's awesome. But now then, let's turn to Revelation 22, verse 4 and 5. Turn, turn the page to 22, 4 and 5. Actually, we'll start with verse 3. No longer will anything be cursed. Now, right now, there's a curse still out there. I mean, you break God's rule, you're under a curse. Somebody said, well, I don't believe I'm under a curse no more. You just sin and find out. You sin, you're under a curse. It'll open a door to the devil. Amen. I'm going to tell you, that's just like that woman and her, when I was over Gateway. I still remember that. I never had such a long prayer line in my life. That's the only time in my life I ever spoke for two hours and 20 minutes. And I started at 10 that morning, and I spoke till 12.20, and then I started praying for people, and I prayed for them till midnight that night. And then they closed the church, and I come back the next day and prayed for the rest of them from 2 to 6 to get it all done. That is the longest prayer line I've ever had in my life. And I had that at Gateway when I spoke over there a couple of years ago. But one of the miracles I saw was a woman and her four girls came in, and three of the girls and the mother had a gluten problem. Had it all their life. Christians, born under the curse. Finest doctors can't cure it. I explained to them... I said, it's a curse. It's a generational curse from sins of your ancestors. I said, but Jesus bore the curse of the law for you. I said, one of the little girls said, sir, what does that mean? Jesus redeemed me from the curse. I said, it means He paid the price so you don't have to pay it. She said, what? I said, He paid a price for something that you've got so it's already paid for, so you're healed and don't know it. I said, because when you get a hold of it and you receive by faith what the king done for you, your sickness is going to leave just like that. That little girl looked up at her mama and said, Mama, Mama, that, that means we can go to the grocery store and buy some triscuits. I said, you got it, young lady. You got it. Did you know those little girls, the faith of a child, when you quote the words of God, they got it just like that. They left there, and Mama stopped at the grocery store, and they got some cereal. They got some wheat stuff that they hadn't been able to eat. Mama says, if I eat one bite of wheat toast, I will bleed internally for up to two months. It was all a curse, and she had it all these years, and three or four or four babies had it because she didn't know that Jesus had redeemed her from the curse. What can you receive by faith if you don't know it? Nothing. You can't receive nothing by faith that you don't know it belongs to you. If you don't know Jesus done it for you, you can't receive it by faith. But that day, those three little girls, they received it. They went home and they ate all they wanted on the way home. When they got home, Mama, she wouldn't eat none of that wheat. Her faith wasn't there. Oh, to be an adult. It's so terrible to be an adult and not have, be able to believe the simple promises of God. In the middle of the night, the woman had a nightmare. You fool, you have killed your children by feeding them wheat. Oh, a wonderful warning from God, right? Oh, you don't think so? Who do you think that might have been? Sure, of course it was the enemy. She got up that morning and out of her nightmare and run downstairs and there's all four of her girls sitting at the table just picking out on everything that was sweet. Every one of them perfectly well. 
So she said, if they can do it, I can do it. So she went up there and got her a piece of wheat toast and eat the whole thing. And the next month, her and her husband and all four girls come to a healing school. And it was out at Justin. And they gave her a testimony. And they've been able to eat anything they want every since. Isn't that awesome? That was just one of the blessings that came to me and to that family from all those hours I spent that day for the kingdom of God over in that big church. I once spoke to a group of pastors there before that, and then I went to that conference, and that's the only time I've ever spoken there. Only to, It was the Amber Rose Conference. Look what he says here. No longer will anything be cursed. But I work for Jesus, you know. If He wants me back there, He'll put me back there. I ain't going over and talk to them to ask them to come bring me back nowhere. You know, Jesus wants me somewhere. He's going to put me where He wants me. I was there that day by divine appointment. And one of the things they couldn't believe, they said, you can only have one little corner of the table in the book room. I said, good grief, I need two or three tables. They said, well, we don't have anybody to take care of the money. I said, oh, that's no problem. They said, well, I said, we get 20% of everything you sell. I said, you won't get nothing from me. Because I don't sell nothing. Now, Gateway sells what I thought over there. You can buy my CD in their store right now, but that's the only place in the world that I know you can buy one of Thurman Scrivener's CDs at Gateway Church. You can buy it there, but you can come over here and get it for free. We give it to you free. We don't sell nothing. And so when they said, you give it away? I said, yeah. I want to be out in the main foyer, and I need two or three or four tables. So they couldn't believe I did this. We gave away four or five thousand cassettes. We had to send. I mean, James and his family went back to the ministry and hauled another van load of stuff there. There was fifteen hundred people there, and for the three days with that, we gave away thousands of tapes, thousands of stuff. Give it away. Isn't that awesome? Amen. That way, nobody's hindered from having our stuff. No longer will anything be cursed, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and His servants will worship Him. That's you and me. We'll worship Him, and they will see His face, and His name will be written on their foreheads. Wow. He's going to stamp His name right there. I'm going to know Him like I've never known Him. And there will be no night there. No need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and there will rain not for a thousand years. Ooh, don't you like that, Ernest? We're going to reign with the King forever. Think about this. This is going a little beyond the Word, but this is the way I see it. The earth is kind of small. He says also, as you study the Scripture, He's going to make the whole universe brand new. All of the planets, They'll all become inhabitable. They'll all be like the earth. And when the church is full, the millions of us that there will be, as we're reigning with Him for the thousand years on the earth, and then we will reign with Him for eternity. Here we are, and there's... He put Keith over ten cities. He put Joseph over ten cities. Who knows who he puts over what. But all of a sudden, one day, he's got a few people left over. A few servants left over. He says, okay, I'm going to cut Joseph's stuff down, or maybe I'm going to increase his to 20 and increase Keith to 20, and that's going to give me an abundance of people now. 
So now then the earth is getting very full. And I don't want it to be full and crowded. So he says, Ernest, I want you to take a few thousand of these people out there, these men and women, and I want you to go out to XYZ planet out there in that galaxy. And I want you to set that up for me, son. You know, I mean, you're going to be my governor out there. I'm going to make you governor over that galaxy. Amen. Amen. And you're to reign with me forever. Anytime you need anything with me, you just say, I need to, and I'll be in your presence. You got a question, I'll always be there to answer it for you. You won't ever have to worry about making a mistake. And you'll be, we will be reigning with the king for eternity. What do you think he's training us for here? He's training us to reign with him how long? Forever and ever. What are we going to reign over? The whole universe. Forever. You know, we should be reigning on earth right now. We're practicing how to get this done right now. We're practicing how to reign with the king right now. And then he's going to give us a thousand years on the earth to reign with him. And then after the end of the thousand years, we're going to reign with him in eternity forever. Somebody says, well, there's Kathy and Fred back there. Are they going to be man and wife in the kingdom? No. You don't marry or give in marriage in the kingdom. Do you know the Scripture says that? Enjoy your life with your mate while you're here because you ain't going to be married to them in heaven. There ain't no marriages in heaven. I don't care what anybody tells you. I don't care if they tell you I've been to heaven and I've seen Thurman and Betty sitting in the same house together and they're married again. I'm telling you, that's going to be a lie. That ain't going to happen. Me and Cheryl's not going to be married in heaven. Marriage is only on earth. One day I will become as the angel. You will become as the angel. He said there will neither be male nor female, but we'll all be as the angels and we'll be there to reign and rule with the king forever. Everything that you know it today is going to change when you reign and rule with the king. Everything the way you understand it is going to be beyond your wildest dreams when you get to heaven. And all this is determined around your obedience right now. Now then, let's go back and finish the story. You can't stop here on this story. It may be 4.30, but we can't stop right here. The next servant, and he's only talked to two, 20% of the ten. One of them had ten, one of them had five. It says the next servant also reported, oh no, not that one, the next servant, but the third servant brought back only the original amount. He brought back exactly what he'd been given. Of the money and said, I hid it and I kept it safe. I just went to church, Lord, every Sunday. I didn't do nothing. I carried my Bible to church, Lord, but I brought it back home, laid it on the shelf. Real careful. I didn't want to damage it. I hid it and I kept it safe. I was afraid because you are a hard man to deal with taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. You wicked servant. I don't want to hear that, do you, Walter? You wicked servant, the king roared. Hard am I. If you knew so much about me and how tough I am, why didn't you deposit the money in the bank so I could at least get some interest on it? You could have at least done that. It would, all instead of hiding it in the backyard, you could have at least tuck it down and put it in the bank. Then you could have let somebody else dealt with it. You could have at least produce me a little interest. 
Then turning to the others standing nearby. Now this is the other seven. The king ordered those seven. Take the money from this servant and give it to the one who earned the most. Now look at their reply. But master, they said, that servant has enough already. Now why do you think the other seven said what they did? What do you think they've done with theirs? What if they had went out and what if one of them had, or what if all of them had had ten or twenty? They said, "Sure, let's take it away from him because if you're going to give it to those that have plenty, I got plenty. That means I get more." That's not what they said. But master, that servant has already enough. Why do you think they replied like that? Because they knew they didn't have nothing either. They knew they fit into the same criteria with this servant. And they don't want to be treated like he's fixing to be treated. Yes, the king replied, but to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who are unfaithful with what I have given you, even what little they have will be taken away. You want to know why so many people in the church are beat up on? Because we ain't doing nothing with what we got. We're not serving God. We're not producing any fruit for the kingdom. We're going out to eat together, talking about the movies we watched last week. We don't go to the restaurant and talk about Jesus. You know, when you go to a restaurant, you sit down and eat, everybody around you ought to hear about Jesus. Ought to hear. If nothing else, you ought to go to eat this afternoon and talk about what you heard today. You ought to have your Bible. I said, you know, I'm not sure I agree with everything he said. Let's talk about this. Is that right, Keith? Get in here. Even what little they have will be taken away. And now, about those enemies. Now, now this is, he's all up to now. Think about this. What percentage of the ten had produced a good return? Two. Twenty percent. Does that kind of look like anything we see in the church today as a whole? About 20% are doing something for the kingdom, right, Joseph? Oh, you think it's even less than that. And it may be. Some are doing something. You you know, you get something. I need you to come help me do this. I need you to come help me. I need you to go on a mission trip with me and build a baptistry. Oh, I ain't got time to go do that. I only get one week's vacation. I ain't going to take it and go do that. I mean, there's a lot of work in something like that. I want to take a vacation and go... Skiing or something. I don't want to go work for Jesus. Oh, okay. 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 Think about what you're doing. You're going to be one of them eight. You're going to be one of them eight. I don't want to be one of them eight. Now, see, you're not going to be judged around what I'm telling you today. You're going to be judged around this written Word of God. He's the one that's going to judge you. Just like He's going to judge me. I'm going to stand in front of Him too, just like you are. But look what He says to all the rest of them. And now about those enemies of mine, the ones that didn't want me to do. You know, in the front it said all the rest of his subjects, they didn't like him. They sent a delegation that we don't want you to be our king. About all those enemies of mine who didn't want me. Oh, I feel so sorry for them. I love them anyway. I'm going to let them in heaven. That's not what he said, was it? That ain't the way he talked, was it, Ernest? He's a little tougher than that, wasn't he? Very tough. 
those enemies who didn't want me to be their king. Bring them in and execute them or kill them right here in my presence. Your Bible say that. He's tough, isn't he, Tom? He don't put up with no nonsense, does he? No. He's going to give you all these years to make him Lord. If you don't make him Lord, he's going to send you to hell. Ain't going to be no questions asked. I sent every time you'll see somebody that, let's say there's a man standing there and Keith had told this guy that worked with him about Jesus three times. The guy laughed at him, smirked him, said, you know, I don't want to hear this junk no more. One day they're both dead. The resurrection comes. Keith's standing there. And here's this guy. And Jesus said, you didn't do nothing with my word. He said, I sent my son right there. He told you three times. To accept me and you reject. You laughed at him. You made fun of him. You cussed him. Everything. You didn't do nothing. That would be devastating. But what if the guy standing there and Keith standing there and he says, Now you're going to hell. And he looked at Keith and he said, Keith, you're getting to go to heaven? He said, Yeah. You knew about this, Jesus? And I worked with you for 10 years and you never told me? You knew. And you're going to And you didn't tell me. Now I'm going to burn in hell because you knew and you didn't tell me. How would you like to be that guy? That's going to happen to a lot of us. It's going to happen to a lot of us. Because we don't want to ruffle nobody's feathers. We don't want to tell nobody about Jesus. Well, that's not what the king told you to do, was it? He told you to go into the world and preach the Word of God to every creature you come in contact with. And a lot of them's not going to want to hear it. But if you don't, you're going to be one of those eight that produce no fruit for the kingdom of God. I don't want to be one of those. You know, there's other places in the Scripture that says those that didn't produce any fruit, they had their part with the unbelievers. He cast them into the lake of fire with the unbelievers. Just because they didn't produce any fruit for the kingdom, that's kind of scary to me. I mean... That makes you tremble. And one day, if what the king decides and the decisions he makes, I'm not going to be able to stand up to him and say, I want a new trial. He's going to say, I am the only trial. And what I say goes. Every time I think about that, I think about Richard Eby. <clears throat> Richard Eby died last year, I think it was, or year before last, at an old age. But he died 20 years earlier, too, and got to go to heaven. And God showed him heaven, and He sent him back. Richard Eby was the one that was a doctor and owned the big hospitals out in California. And he loved God, served Him, did everything. He was a wealthy man. He went to Chicago to claim a house that his sister owned. And while he was up there, he leaned over a third-floor balcony, and the railings were rotted, and it broke, and he fell headfirst to the concrete, hit right on the curb, busted his head open, brains all over the place. He'd be away. They picked him up, sent him down to the hospital, done an autopsy on him, put him in the morgue, put him in the cold room, and the, wrapped him up and contacted his wife. And, of course, before they contacted his wife, the Lord contacted his wife and said, they're going to call you and tell you Richard's dead. But said, he's not. said, I want you to go claim his body. So she goes to, she gets a phone call. She get, her, hears from the Lord. The Lord said, he's not dead. She hears from the hospital. He is dead. So she goes to up there and said, I need to, 
pick up my husband. And they said, ma'am, he's dead. She said, oh, no, no, he's not dead. So, oh, uh, he's very dead. And she said, well, the Lord told me he wasn't dead. And so I need to claim, his, claim him. I need to pick him up, you know. So the lady said, ma'am, uh, let me take you down to where he is in the morgue. And they pulled out the refrigerated table that Richard Eby was laying on. And when they pulled the table out, he sat up. Very much alive. It said the lady that took him down there passed out. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me at all. But Richard Eby lived many more years after that. And he told everybody, in fact, the Lord told him, he said, now won't you go back to California? Won't you give away that hospital and everything? Yeah, won't you give it all away? He told him where to give it. So he did. I mean, you know, if you think we give away a lot of stuff, I would like to have to give away a hospital and all your millions. Well, he did. This is exactly what God told him to do. And then the Lord said, I'll take care of you. And he did. And he said, everywhere I send you, you're to go tell. Every church I send you to, you're to go tell about your experience with me while you're in heaven. How many of you ever heard of Richard Eby? Any of you ever say, oh, several you praise God, so you all all know what I'm telling you. Many of you have heard his testimony. So anyway, Richard... You know, he went to, uh, and he was done all this stuff and everything. He said, one day, I was over, many years later, told about heaven, how beautiful it was. I'd heard him tell it myself many times. And one day, he was over in, in Lazarus' tomb, and the light went out. And he felt some being was there. He said, Lord, is that you? And the Lord said, yes, son, it's me. I'm fixing to take you on another trip. He said, where am I going to get to go this time? He said, I'm going to take you to hell. He said, Lord, you can't do that. I'm washed in the blood. And I'll never forget what Richard said the Lord told him. He said, son, I am God. I can do anything I want to do. You're going to hell. And he said, I'm falling. And he said, I'm in this place of torment. And he said, I'm saying it was the blackest. And he said, the demons of hell was in that place. He said, in the few minutes I was there, he said, I almost went stark raving mad. He said, that was the most awful place I've ever been in in my life. He said, brought him back and brought him right back in Lazarus tomb, turned the light on. He said, now go tell my people how terrible hell is and let them believe it. Now you've been telling them for years how beautiful heaven is. Now you go tell them how bad hell is because I want them to know. Amen. And you know, it don't make no difference. What we do, some people say, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. And you know, there's going to be a multitude of people that's going to die and bust that place wide open. And some of them have been in churches all their life and have never believed the Word of God. Well, let me tell you, when they stand before the king, I don't want them to stand and say, there's Thurman Scribner. He knew the truth, and he didn't never tell me the truth. I want them to look over there and say, he told me. Every time I saw him, he was telling me, or she was telling me. Every time I saw him, he was telling me about Jesus. I don't need to straighten my life up. I have no excuse. Well, let me tell you, this deal about heaven and hell is very real. This deal about sickness and health is very real. And it all revolves around your obedience. If you'll be obedient and serve God, He will keep you healthy. He will allow you to live a long, healthy life. And then one day, He'll translate you right out of here. But you get out of a relationship, just like Dave has told us, why it took him so long to get healed, two years almost to get healed. The Lord finally revealed to him, you know, you didn't have a personal relationship with me. Except the guy's in church every time the door's open. He said, Lord, I tithe. I do everything. And I heard him just, on the, as I was listening today, coming down to the rest of his testimony that he was here talk, teaching on Tuesday night just a couple of weeks ago. He said that I, the Lord says, when you say you're tithing, 
said, how about your time? You're not giving me a tithe. Yeah, you may be giving me your money, but I want you, Dave. And I don't want just a tithe of your time. I want you 24-7. And when you get a hold of that, you start giving yourself to Jesus. Hey, you can live the abundant life. You can reign with Christ right now. Right now. And you can reign with Him for eternity. And you can have a blessed life. But guess who makes that choice every day? Who makes that choice whether you're going to reign with Him today or are you going to lose, Tom? That's right. You do. You do. Ernie Silver pointing that finger at himself. I'm, go- I'm going to enjoy it today. Aren't you, Ernest? I don't care what the devil throws at me. I don't care how bad people are or how mad somebody gets at me. I'm going to have a great day today in Jesus' name. Aren't you, Keith? I don't care if them contractors attack me tomorrow like they used to and do all the things. And, you know, and you're going to enter carriage and encounter that tomorrow. You're still going to have a great day. I don't care how many things go wrong tomorrow. You're still going to serve Jesus and have a great day, right? Amen. You have that choice every day of your life. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank You for the Word. I thank You for these promises. Lord, I thank You. I thank You for what You've done through Cheryl and all these people. Everybody had something to do with this deal with these children and these women. Lord, the money that You brought in. Lord, I ask You to bless every one of them abundantly because they were involved. They were servants of the Most High God that was taking what You give them and they were building their treasures in heaven. Lord, they're going to have more than a one-to-one. And what they've been given, they give it and bless others. So, Lord, everybody that helps with this thing is going to be blessed immensely because of what they did just for these women. This is one little deal. But we're going to be doing those kind of things forever, Lord, until You come again. Lord, we're going to reign and rule with You on the earth because we're Your sons and daughters. And, Lord, we want to be obedient. We want to walk holy before You. And it makes no matter what anybody does to us, we ain't going to talk evil about them. We're going to bless them in the name of Jesus. And we're not going to let what they do to us make us have a bad day. We're going to worship You and praise You and thank You. Because, Lord, You're the King and You give us the choice. Now, Lord, if there's anybody here today that needs to know this wonderful Savior, we're here to lead you to Him. Anybody here needs to be healed or delivered, we're here to meet your need. Lord, we praise You and thank You for what You do through this ministry and the people You send here and the lives You touch through this place. Because, Lord, this is all about You and Your kingdom. And I am grateful that I get to be one of Your sons. Now, Lord, I ask You to bless every one of these people as they leave here today. As they go forth, I ask You to empower them with the Holy Ghost that they might be about Your business everywhere they go from this place today. May they tell people about Jesus, what He come for, what this season's all about. Let them not be ashamed to declare the Word of the living God before everybody they come in contact with this week and next week and on into the future. Now, Lord, we praise You and thank You for the privilege to come here and serve You. And we thank You for the blessings that You've given us through Your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank You. In Jesus' name.